Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. What's happening? Not much, man. Ooh, that sounded kind of mellow. I'm tired. You're always tired. <laughs> Pick a day when you're not. Well, I've been here for, what, two hours, and we haven't recorded anything yet. <laughs> well, part of that wasn't my fault. Well, most of that wasn't my fault. Oh, no. You told me story after story after story after story. <laughs> but you got trapped in front of the TV upstairs. I did. Was, yes. We watch, uh, my daughter and I watch some YouTube videos once in a while. Um, there's all these YouTube these YouTubers that get paid money to play video games, and they record them and post the videos on their YouTube channel. And, like, this one guy's got, like, 400 or 4, four million followers or oh, something yeah? like that. Like, watch them play video games. Most of them are, okay, well, that's cool. If you want to see him play this video game, so you get the sort of layout on how it's played, and then you go buy it sort of thing. They get together with other YouTubers, and there'll be a group of four of them playing, and they'll post that video of the four of them. And um, some of it's definitely not family-friendly. No, 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 not family-friendly. Uh, there's a couple of them <laughs> that, that I, I do watch with my daughter, and uh, they're, some, of the, some of the bits are really funny, and the one we saw tonight was, it was... It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> Um, they got a mod for this one game, Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, and it allows them to change their characters. Mm-hmm. So there was SpongeBob, there was Patrick the Starfish, there was Ned Flanders and Kermit the Frog, <laughs> and they were there. I guess Grand Theft Auto has a race feature on it now, where you can race your fellow yeah. players, mm-hmm. and this mod made their vehicles change every 15 seconds. Yeah. So one minute you're riding a motorcycle, the next minute you're driving a car, you're driving a forklift, a bulldozer, a jet plane, yeah. a helicopter, <laughs> a jumbo jet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you can attack each other. So um, what? Uh, well, we saw Kermit, Kermit Frog murdered multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> and uh, Kermit walking up and fist fight with Ned Flanders yeah. <laughs> and the guy that's playing because they all have the regular voices yeah. right but the guy that's playing oh he has a spot on Smitty. Kermit the Frog Smitty's his name yeah. but he's he's doing a pretty good Kermit the Frog yeah. <laughs> imitation picking <laughs> fights and <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going back to prison <laughs> so yeah it's, uh, that <clears throat> that took up about a half hour of our evening <laughs> Oh, uh, but uh, other than that, what's happening, buddy? Not much. It's, no? uh, well, it's it's kind of that slow time of year. It's uh, you're getting into the fall, and uh, and it's it, it's I'm a, past the fall now. Well, you, I'm getting into winter. Well, it's still fall until December twenty first. Yeah, well, I don't care. It's cold. There's snow. <laughs> Not it's much winter. Though. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things. Like I don't know. How much we're going to see things return to normal, but I'm really looking forward to some of these outdoor shows, like the Toronto Outdoor Show, yeah. and you know, and the uh, Quiet Water Symposium, Adventure, Quiet Adventure Symposium. I keep calling it Quiet Water every yeah, time. yeah. They switched the name a couple of years mm-hmm. back. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, come it'd be spring, nice, man. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Is what Canucopia is going to happen? Canucopia is doing both. They are doing the in person and. The online. The virtual, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of people still humming and hawing about the the in-person one. Yeah. Because the the COVID protocols are still all up in the air yeah. right now with it all. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. But uh, I think baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. But yeah, so as far as the fall goes, though, is you know, I'm just I'm still waiting for uh, for snow, and uh, we keeps getting we keep getting teased with a little bit of snow that either blows away or melts, and so I'm waiting for it to kind of stick and be permanent, so that uh, he and the kids can go skiing and winter camping. Well, that's you guys do the skiing, don't you? We do. Are they yeah. doing the lessons again this year? Uh, well, we, we haven't decided yet. Everything was so weird last year, and so we're just going to play it by ear this year. It's not much sense in uh, reserving booking something just to have it canceled, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll we'll see what happens. It's uh, the problem is, and and I'm I'm sure many people have the same issue. Is uh, so I'm just a dad. I'm not a teacher. 
so they won't listen to me. Oh, you're but just you, a, you, a wallet and a car yeah, ride. So you hand them off onto an instructor and they listen intently to what the instructor tells them about skiing or whatever they're doing. And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, don't listen to me. I don't know anything. Yep. Because <laughs> yeah. I got nothing better to do than lie to you. I know, right? <laughs> this is how you do it. Well, no, Dad, that's not how you do it. And the instructor will say, yeah, how your dad says to do it is, is correct. Yeah, well, I'll believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little whippersnappers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, now, I was, I'm kind of wishing it was spring already. Why is that? I just, you know what, I'm just not in the mood for another garbage winter. Yeah. As much as I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to getting out and over New Year's and doing some camping and mm-hmm. uh, family day weekend in February, but... I'm I'm really finding every year it's getting harder and harder to put up with these no snow winters. It is changing, yeah. So it and it's one of those things you got to really head north to find the snow, right? Mm-hmm. There's like a snow belt at about Highway Seven around this area. It's like and it really depends on where your area is, right? But yeah, these uh, these there's uh, warmer winters and hotter summers and. There's no more walking to school in the snow both ways. I feel <laughs> no. there's, there's no snow anymore. Yeah, so it's yeah. just the kids got it easy these mm-hmm. days. It is nice that at, uh, I only have to shovel the driveway once or twice a year. I, you know what? I had contemplating buying a skidoo. <laughs> I had contemplated buying a snowblower. I'm glad I saved my money because you know <laughs> there's nothing down here. You know, you get a couple <laughs> of days in the winter, and uh, yeah, I, I just it's just drags now. It's just like, I, I just hate mm-hmm. getting up and like, you see the, you know, oh, it's January. Look, my grass is still brown <laughs> and yeah. frozen. I'm after mow in February. Yeah. Everything's, <laughs> yeah, well, everything's frozen, but there's yeah. no snow on mm-hmm. the ground, you know. I saw my daughter the other day about when we were kids uh, out west. They used to have a winter carnival on the base uh, we were on at the time. Yeah. Every, every year and they would put out, you know, everybody could decide, hey, this year's theme should be whatever. And one year it was um, Mother Noose, Mother Goose's nursery rhymes, so everybody was doing these big snow statues in front of their house. Okay, you know, just like sandcastles, but mm-hmm. out of snow, and it would be like one of Mother Goose's nursery rhymes, sort of. Okay, and they get the the food coloring to color the snow and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I've not seen anything like that around. I mean, you're lucky you get a snowman that stays for <laughs> you know, I know, right, a couple of weeks. If you're lucky. I remember growing up in New Brunswick, it was, uh, we, we would get so much snow that, uh, a couple times a winter they'd come by with these giant snow plow thingies because they had to knock down the snow bank on the side yeah. of the road because it was getting, you know, you know, 10 foot high snow banks and you're like driving down a tunnel. And so they come in with this big, uh, thing and just shove over the snowbank into the, into the woods on the side of the road. And so that they could easily plow again for, for, you know, the next it, month. It's like so. a giant snowblower on the front of a big, big truck. Yes. No, it wasn't snow. Oh, no, just a big blade that just oh. pushed. When we so, lived up in North Bay, they had the uh, big snowblower looking thing oh. that would attach to the front of a truck. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm talking like a big dump yeah. truck size truck. Yeah. And the blaze would just go through and it'd be <laughs> shooting it off to the way into the ditch or they'd have a dump truck beside them and it'd be filling yeah. the dump truck and it would haul it away sort of thing. And they would make a giant pile in front of the school <laughs> and they would bury some um, scarecrows in it. As a safety thing, they get the students outside to wash. This is why you don't build your snow forts in the ditches next to the road because these guys can't see you when they're coming with the yeah. snow blowers and stuff, the, the snow plows. So they come and, and they go through the and they just Explode shoot all the scarecrow. everything everywhere. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that was our safety. Yeah. <laughs> your yeah. safety lesson of Look, the day. Look, kids. <laughs> this could be you, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, those kind of snow days. Yeah. You got to go far north now to get you get all of that. Yeah, you just don't, we don't have that kind of weather anymore. Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't, unfortunately. And uh, even uh, the kids around the corner, their dad built them an ice rink, but it's all, he put boards and, and everything. And even still, like half the season, half the, the year last year it was water. 
Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't good enough for for um, skating on. Yeah, you know. So that's a bummer. That's a bummer. But uh, so speaking of winter, though, and the time of year. So at Halloween, mm-hmm. we saw all the witches out paddling. People doing the uh, with the witches on stand up paddle boards going. Oh down yeah, the yeah, river. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it'd be like thirty yeah. witches going mm-hmm. going down somewhere and and whatnot. Well, the paddling Santas have started. Oh, excellent. They're around. Yeah. <laughs> so keep your peepers open. Yeah. You see a large group of Santas. Uh, out on stand-up out paddle on boards. Out on stand-up paddle boards. <laughs> Tis the season. Yes, exactly. You know, uh, I'm not a big Christmas fan, never have been, so, but, you know. Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> more of a, more of a Grinchy side yeah. type guy myself. Thank you very much. I don't know. This doesn't, doesn't enthuse me i guess anymore uh so nothing new with you then no, other than that no just getting ready for just plugging away yeah you know, work is busy but as new as usual but uh yeah just kind of waiting for snow to really settle in and uh try, we're trying to figure out some some of our winter camping plans and and so on just to uh it's we're hoping for snow it's it really counting on some snow so are you doing the RV thing again, or are you actually going to... Yeah, so we, we've got that thing parked and uh, for the winter, and but we're going to try and do some... Uh, we're going to try to do some hot tent camping as well this year. I want to get the I want to get the kids off of uh, the beaten track and and uh, tow a sled into the backcountry of Algonquin Park or somewheres, and uh, we'll see what happens, right? So I know Mike Burns, he's got his, you saw his stove that he made. Yeah, eh? <laughs> you'd swear it was a Nyko stove. I know, it's like, it's like professional, right? But anyway, so he's, uh, he's going to be doing some winter camping with that. Uh, and, uh, and so we, we were, we had intended on, uh, on joining him for between Christmas and New Year, but I just can't get away from work at that time. So yeah, but, uh, maybe I'll get the kids out in Algonquin Park in the middle of winter. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We'll be up the, that way. Over New Year's. Yeah. And then uh, Family Day weekend, we do the whole... Yes, yeah, yeah. Big thing up there, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Uh, next... Next summer, the Boundary Waters. This is a big thing that's just come out. Oh, yes. The U.S. Forest Service is... Uh, overnight paddling permits will be more scarce in 2022. In response to crowding in some places in the boundary waters, and we've been discussing that all year here, well, the last couple of years now, yeah. that more and more people are going to the backcountry, and it's hard to to book a, a backcountry site. So the crowding and natural resource uh, disturbances in parts of the boundary waters uh, have prompted them to cut back the number of entry permits available to paddlers in 2022, and as much as 13 percent fewer. Permits will be issued. Mm-hmm. Uh, one person says that's about seven and a half permits a day. That's quite a bit. From was it June to September? Yeah, but it's they've they've experienced an, an overabundance of people camping, and so it's nice to see people are getting out. But uh, you know, we're we're loving our backcountry areas to death, and uh, mm-hmm. they have to control the numbers a bit to uh, preserve the backcountry. Well, Susan Cotton's a forest service spokeswoman, and she says they'll specify the reduction sometime before visitors start reserving January 26th. <coughs> so, uh, <coughs> I just hold some beer. <coughs> <coughs> Oops. <coughs> this evening's beer's got bones in it. Yes. <laughs> Oops. Derek's about to die of choking on a beer. <coughs> That's going to be your first. <laughs> yeah, I can feel the uh, the beer tickling in my lips. <laughs> <coughs> I'll live. <clears throat> I'll be doing the podcast myself this evening. <laughs> Drag his carcass out of here. You good? Yeah, I just inhaled some beer foam. <coughs> beer foam? Yeah, something. It went down the wrong pipe. <coughs> my coughs take like beer. <coughs> Do you need a drink? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> oh my god! Deep breaths. Yeah. 
I'm better. Okay. <laughs> As we were saying, Susan Cotton, a forest boat person, <laughs> uh, says the agency will specify before January 26, but not every entry point will see a reduction in permit availability. Uh, just the cu- cutbacks are aimed at the areas suffering from overuse. Uh, and that's what we, I mean, with Algonquin, for instance, uh, the Highway 60 corridor mm-hmm. would be the main shutdown spot, I would think. And probably places like Bice Lake and whatnot, those access points up the um, Some of those, west yeah, side. Exactly. Some of those areas are, are the more popular ones, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, like along the Highway 60 corridor is pretty busy with Opiongo and Canoe Lake and stuff like that, but... Now, I'm wondering, so you can cross the border now. Anybody who can't get a permit might just try and enter through the uh, Canadian side. Up through Quetico. Mm-hmm. Maybe. There you go. Maybe. So, well, like I say, they're, they're saying it's not going to be all access points, just the ones. Just the a heavy few that are, ones. that are overly heavy used. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this, she says there's just too many people in some areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the surge in visitor traffic started 2020, continued last summer with additional complaints of campsite competition. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Congestion at canoe portages, noise, soil erosion, garbage left behind, camping at undesignated sites, and cutting of live trees at campsites. Mm-hmm. Does any of that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we are our own worst enemies, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, people complain that uh, that we're losing access to backcountry areas, but then you say, well, you know, <laughs> are you fully aware of why we're losing access? You know, people are doing these things. They're trashing campsites. And yeah. like, you know, you show up to a campsite and it's like, and, and we talked about this before with the uh, specific reservable at, at uh, Killarney and stuff. So it's, um, so you show up at a campsite, somebody's left their crunched up tent there, you know, there's it's just trashed, right? So it's like, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. It's like if we can't be responsible enough to uh, take care of our uh, backcountry sites, then maybe we should be limiting some of the access, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and holding people responsible. I, one thing I think you might see is uh, if somebody specific has reserved a specific campsite in, say, for example, Killarney, and uh, somebody comes in and sees the campsite trashed, well, they have a really good idea of who was there, right? Yeah. So it, there might be some repercussions if you do start, if you keep con- destroying some of these backcountry areas. And that's, you know, that is basically if the person who comes in to that site and sees it then leaves mm-hmm. and says, by the way. Yeah. It was that way when, when I, I got, got here. <laughs> site, this is what I saw on yeah. that site. Right? Mm-hmm. And hopefully people will, will report stuff like that so then they can, yeah. you know. Um, well, at the very least. It, so that somebody can get in there and clean it up. Yeah. and uh, Because if you're on a 10-day trip and day one, somebody's left, like you say, a, a ripped up tent. Yeah. Are you going to want to haul that ripped up tent for, the for, whole time for 10 you? days? Exactly. You're not yeah. going to want to take that on your yeah. trip. Yeah. As much as you'd want to help clean it up, but it's, it's you know, you, you can only carry so much stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's, I mean, I've... I've I've come across sites where there's cans or whatever. I've just thrown them in with my garbage that I'm hauling on my trips. Yeah. A can or two, you know, that's not, that, that's nothing. Yeah. But when you're looking at, I mean, we've, we've found beach umbrellas and. I know. It's incredible stuff. sometimes. I'm right? not hauling that yeah. on a 10 day canoe trip. Mm-hmm. You know, that there, there is a limit. So, um, one of the outfitters says the change will be beneficial to the wilderness but could block would-be paddlers who don't plan ahead. People who reserve a permit early in 2022 should still be able to book a trip to their liking. And uh, I think booking a trip early is going to be a necessity. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they do that now. I mean, even in Algonquin for ages. Yeah. If you, if you know you want to go somewhere on that, is it six months or five months? Five months. That day... Of five months. Yeah. You need to be there and book. You need yeah. to be on early in the morning and book that mm-hmm. that trip. Because if you don't, somebody beat you to it. Yeah. Then you're 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 stuck. Yeah, you're out of luck. Um other out, her and uh, the the outfitters learned of the coming change uh the week with phone calls from the Forest Service. On the west side 
of the Boundary Waters. New restriction will erase about 1,350 opportunities to camp during the five months when the permits are required. And yeah, and that's what she's saying is like seven and a half permits a day are going away, which is significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? Yeah, that's quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if that, that's like two canoe loads of people, two canoe trips, mm-hmm. or you know, canoe trip and a couple of solo trips. Yep. Doesn't it? Doesn't it's not hard to uh, cancel seven people. Under one model considered this week by the Forest Service, overnight paddling and hiking permits would be reduced by 13% throughout the reservation season that runs from May 1st to September 30th. And under that scenario, the number of available permits would be cut from 285 per day to 248. Uh, If that were the case, an estimated 23,000 fewer people would enter Boundary Waters next year. That's a big number. Based on the average of four people per group. Mm -hmm. 23,000 people. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty significant. That's huge. Hmm. Uh, Forest Service is expected to disclose in January how many people visited the Boundary Waters in 2021. They haven't said that yet. In 2020, 165,918 people visited, visited, uh, up 16% from 2019 and up 10% from the 2016 to 2019 average. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that's incredible. 16% increase. What kind of numbers? I I remember hearing the numbers for Algonquin Park one time. I can't remember what the numbers were. But it was a significant number. Yeah, it's definitely a significant number. So the Forest Service began its uh, quota system in the 70s for boundary waters to protect the wilderness. And changes to the permitting, uh, changes to permitting happening in every couple of years. So this isn't anything really new, but I think it's just a bigger change in yep. the amount of permits than, than usually there would mm-hmm. be. So so if you plan on going to the Boundary Waters next year. Book early. Come January 26th, you better have your dates ready to go and make your reservations. Because yep. otherwise you may find yourself... Sitting at home or elsewhere. Yeah, well, maybe not home, but you have to find an alternate location to go to. Like (laughs) Quetico. Derek has a pond in his backyard. There we go, yes. (laughs) This is good beer. Yes, it's better if you don't inhale it. There's no beer, no bones. There's... (laughs) (laughs) This is the last of my puppers. Oh? Yeah. Oh, poor John. No, I actually, because our cold storage is actually cold now. You hid some in there? So, yeah, I put some in there. So, <laughs> if times get tough, though. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a weak moment and I hit the cold storage. <laughs> Sorry, John. Oh, I sent him a, a message there. Well, I think you were in that message saying start saving your empty beer cans because I'm going to send him all these empty <laughs> Puppers beer cans. In yeah, the it mail. wouldn't be illegal to <laughs> ship empty cans across no, the border. I, I wouldn't think so. <laughs> Just shipping cans. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be funny. <laughs> uh, remember last week we talked about the Vatican had that kayak. Yes. Well. It's been an update. The... Kayak and all those little uh, different little pieces uh, were brought out, apparently, just so that the Globe and Mail could see them. Yeah. the Globe and Mail did an article on it. Globe and Mail did an article. So they, they did an article they, a couple years ago, and they were doing an update or something because of the, the Truth and Reconciliation yeah. thing. So they brought out all these pieces just for the Globe and Mail. So once that article got posted and people know what the Vatican has now, it's been a bit of a backlash from some people. It's a contentious issue. So there is um, one group um, that says the Vatican Museum must return those pieces immediately. Mm -hmm. All pieces. All pieces. Uh, the Western Arctic kayak exhibited by Pope Pius the eleventh in the twenties. It's been in and out of storage um, ever since the twenties. Yeah, and they said that uh, 
they were shocked that it was there. I guess people are saying they didn't know it existed. Yeah. Still. And that all that stuff should come home. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the uh, Inuvialuit leaders says that should return it should all be returned home to the Mackenzie Delta region where it was built a century ago. Yeah. Right? And now they're in a statement he says um, that they're seeking the immediate return of all indigenous artifacts held in the collection by the Vatican Museum, including the kayak. And his comments come three days after an article was the article was published about the kayak and other objects that have been stored unseen in the vault for several decades, uh, two weeks ahead of this of the indigenous group's visit to the Vatican to meet Pope Francis. The trip is part of a, the truth, as we mentioned before, uh, the truth and reconciliation process following scandals over the abuse of generations of indigenous children at the schools run by the Catholic Church. In October, Pope Francis agreed to visit Canada, date to be determined, because I know we were we were talking about that, uh, where he's expected to issue a formal apology for the abuses. The um, Inu, in I always have problems with this word, Inuvialuit Regional Corps uh, didn't confirm it was previously aware the Vatican had the kayak. And the four and a half meter hunting craft was referred to extensively in the America's book published by the Vatican Museum's Ethnological Museum. So it's out there, I guess, because it's not in everybody's faces. You forget about it. People don't yeah. realize it's there. But in you know, in, unless somebody says, "Hey, take a look at this book," mm-hmm. yeah. right? So, um, Mr. Smith, who declined to join the delegation to the Vatican because of his anger over the Catholic Church treatment of the indigenous peoples, said he was shocked by the insensitive display of these Inuvialuit and indigenous artifacts at the Vatican Museum. And he's he's, uh, talking about, there's like over 200 other objects, carving of killer whales, headdresses, and they're not actually on display at the Vatican Museums. They're all in storage. Yes, they're tucked away. Yeah, they were removed by curators from storage on November 22nd so they could be viewed exclusively by the Globe and Mail and then were put back into storage the next day. Now, Kenneth Lister, a retired ROM Royal Ontario Museum curator who was the Toronto Museum's authority on Arctic watercraft, uh, says the kayak was built in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It's a rare Western example. Uh, the larger and Eastern Arctic, Arctic versions are more common. Only six of these Western Arctic kayaks are known to exist, including the one in the Vatican's possession. The others are in the Smithsonian in Washington, the National Museum of Denmark, and the Canadian Museum of History in Gatineau, which is where I took all those pictures of all those canoes. And So I've got to go back. Look at the through pictures. my pictures to see if one of them was one of these kayaks. This, yeah. Right? Vatican Museum says the kayak and other objects from the Mackenzie Delta area were gifts to the Vatican. And this is where there's the fight's going to end up, right? Yeah. So they were gifts to the Vatican. They were collected by a Roman Catholic bishop in the Mackenzie area in 1924, shipped to Rome where they became part of the Pope's World Expo of Indigenous Artifacts. So, of course, somebody's going to say, well, they were given to use and there's other people are going to say well there were gifts so they gift. belong to yeah. the Vatican and vice versa so you can't have them back or but before all that gets um, the kayak he says the, the kayak is a piece of Inuvialuit history made by in their traditions and it's not the Pope's kayak and rightfully belongs to uh, to us it's it where it's lessons and significant significance can benefit uh, our culture and communities. So last week, uh, Stefania Pandozzi, head of the Vatican Museum's Ethnological Materials Restoration, we're using a lot of big words today. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah you are. Uh, li- Restoration Library said that it's important to get indigenous people's views on the restoration and display. We need to hear the voices of their culture, the Kayak con- uh, Conservation Project 
will be a precious opportunity for human and professional growth for the laboratory to establish a fruitful dialogue with the indigenous communities of origin and Canadian scholars who will be actively involved in the conservation choices. Hmm. So on one hand, it sounds like they want to say, you know what, let's all come together yep, and as a group learn all about over this one, one craft. Yeah. You know, see what we can learn from each other, what we can learn from you, your culture and all that to start maybe the healing process of everything. Mm-hmm. And then you got the other guys who are just taking the, the, the stand. Well, no, give us all our stuff. Yeah. And, and I, I can see that's exactly where it's going to go. And hopefully it doesn't get derailed into some big uh, mishmash argument yeah, and, and things can, can uh, go. So, But at the end of the day, that's a pretty cool looking kayak. It is. It is pretty neat. If you, if you haven't yeah. seen it yet, definitely Google Google it and uh, just Google Vatican's kayak. Yeah. There's some really and, nice uh, close pictures some really, of it. Yeah. There's a little video that shows yeah. different spots of it and stuff. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see that one and... But yeah, I gotta go through my pictures and see if I've actually yeah, seen it. You might have, have a picture of it. Look at that, eh? See? I may have seen <laughs> one and not even known it. Exactly. I tell you. Uh another brew ha ha that was expected to happen and is now not gonna happen. Yeah. Do you remember we talked about that uh Whitewater Park in Dublin? Yeah, and it was there was a lot of controversy around it. There was a lot of wasted money. There's a lot of it, it's it was, was gonna cost an insane amount of money. 22 million euro. Originally they said it was going to be 10 million and then the whole yeah. project blossomed and ended up being 22, 23 million dollars to, to do. And somebody like a, the, once you start a public discourse and, and if the, the story gets out there and it's negative, it's kind of hard to turn that bus around. Mm-hmm. And so the public was against it right from the, right off the bat. And so it was, and it makes it really hard to spend taxpayer money when, uh, when the taxpayers are not behind a, uh, something, right? Well, they were looking at this because they wanted to bring in the tourist dollars. Yes. And they said it could be something that the locals could use as well. Mm-hmm. And there'd be a training facility and there's a whitewater rescue area that the first responders could use for training purposes. Yep. And so it's going to be this whole big big thing. It would have been a big moneymaker. It would have been. However, people were saying, um, yeah, that 22 million euros could probably yeah. go towards affordable housing, exactly, which right? we need more. We have, we have other than, priorities at this time. Yeah. So that was uh, back in 2019. Yeah. That was a while ago. <laughs> well, apparently that's been canned. Yep. Enough's it is enough. not going to happen. That plan got jagged in. Mm-hmm. Ain't no more. Yep. Um, they said they there has been significant opposition to the proposal since it was announced two years ago, while it also notes that the council was unable to secure support from state funding bodies. I think the state wanted to say, um, yeah, we see what's going on here and we don't want any part of yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I think they were trying. They were trying to get uh, the government, Irish government, to pay nineteen million out of the twenty-two. Yeah, and they just, said, yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah, not interested. Uh, the jo- proposed development at George's Dock would have consisted of a whitewater rafting course and a swift water rescue training facility for use by emergency services. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I do believe when we were talking about this project, there is a whitewater area a few kilometers outside of town. There is, yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, well, we've already got something. So if you want to spend some money on that, improve what's there. that yeah. area. Don't build this right yeah. in the middle of town, you know. Uh, the Irish government refused to allocate 19 million euro to the project from its Urban Regeneration and Development Fund, arguing that the DCC must source funds for development on George's dock. Um, it was suggested that a pool or Lido, which for any other terms is a pool. Yep, a sandy pool. Would would be a more appropriate and cost-effective development in the area. Yeah. So I'm just going to cancel my plans to go to Dublin. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when we first talked about this, we were excited because it was a it was a unique project. Like there, there was a lot of controversy about it financially and, and so on, right? You know, you're you're spending a lot of taxpayer funded money, mm-hmm. and uh, but yeah, it would have been 
really interesting. It's like uh, it's a all fully contained uh, white water course. Yeah. And so it was uh, the concept and idea of it was really neat. And so, obviously, it's going to take a lot of space. It's uh, a lot of resources, but uh, not anymore. Well, like I say, it was it was a good idea to bring tourists. And, you know, after work, you go to your car, you grab your kayak, and you head yeah. on over. Do sort a couple of, runs. Sort of thing, you know, weekends. Yeah. Let's, instead of having to go out of town, we can stay in town, yeah. do that, throw our kayaks back in the car, go for a local restaurant down there and have a bite to eat, and then head on home sort of thing but yeah the 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 money i guess just wasn't it was just too much money way too much money and the public her. weren't the, you didn't have public support it's yeah. it's hard to proceed in the eye of that the, with the with the lack of interest from the public big time big time so unfortunately good plan but money's not there so um let's talk Derek's book club <laughs> <laughs> yes this what, one you what book is this I'm one you read? definitely won't have, and you probably won't get. <laughs> so I did find it. I did find it online. You can get it for like twenty five bucks off yeah. of um, Amazon. Yeah, right for delivery and taxes and shipping and all that sort of stuff. So when you're a little kid, you're down by the river, you're throwing sticks and stones, and yeah. if you've read Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. You got to think, how cool would that be? Yeah. yeah. To just hop on a raft and float on down a river for miles and miles and miles yeah. and miles. Especially when you're a little kid. Nowadays, <laughs> that little kid would not no. be allowed to do that. No, no. So down in uh, Alamance County, North Carolina... Herman Johnson and his buddies were younger. Uh, they had a dream along the Haw River. He says, this is where the dream started right there under that tree. That's when we got to thinking about an adventure of going on down the river. This is what gets me. He says, after years of planning, the four took off on June 30th, 1962 on a homemade raft. Yeah. So these the, these kids y- these kids yeah right after years of planning yeah did this raft now the raft if if you look at the pictures uh, if you Google it and look at the pictures it's basically four truck inner tubes truck tire inner tubes yep. and two pieces of plywood yeah so it's like a giant rectangle <laughs> with four inner tubes underneath yeah all. Stuck together. And down the river they go. Years. And I say years of planning. Years of planning. Yeah. Um, they were between the ages of 11 and 14. <laughs> when did they start this dream? I know, when they right? were six? <laughs> I think the years part might have been exaggerated. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they went down the river on two pieces of plywood and truck inner tubes. It was a simple time and they used the resources they could gather and made it successful. Yeah. Just seven days, the real-life Huckleberry Finn adventure ended 250 miles away at Carolina Beach. That's pretty impressive. That's a long way to float. <laughs> you're not paddling that thing. You're just going with the current. Well, you're going with the current. You're on four inner tubes with two pieces of plywood. Yeah. You got all your gear. There's your your four buddies. <laughs> well, you and, your, you and your three buddies, I guess. Yeah. And... At that age? I know. Like uh, they said, 11 to 14 years old. Nowadays? Yeah. The cops would be called. Yeah. Children's services would be called. Like, there's no way (laughs) you would be able to do something like that now, right? Um, So this book talks about him growing up poor and what he's he's thought his entire life. Um, It says it's a very hard... His daughter says, uh, I guess, it's, it's a very heartfelt... Heartfelt, and it's a great book. It's a genuine story. The lessons he learned would be used for another successful trip down the year river 12 years later. So, <laughs> in his 20s. In his 20s now, <laughs> late yeah. 20s. Uh, you can buy the book Rafting Down the Haw River to the Sea. You can get that on, on Amazon. 
So if we read what they say on Amazon about this, Herman Johnson's book, Rafting 250 Miles Down the Haw River to the Sea, is a tale of young lads and their huckleberry finished trips rafting down the Haw River to the sea. It was the summer of 53 or 54. My younger brother, Harold Johnson, two of our cousins, Jerry Manus and his younger brother, Ray, and I. So I guess I would have been five of them. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, We were camping on the banks of the Haw River at the confluence of Boyd's Creek. One morning after cooking, we were sitting around the cook as young boys will do all about the great things we were going to do in the future. When one of us boys spoke up and said, sure is a lot of water going down the river. I sure would like to see where all that water is going. On that morning with the statement, the dream of going down the river to the sea began. At that time, I can't remember any of us being out of Elements County. And if so, we had not been out very um, far. If you've turned the whole uh, group of us upside down and shook us hard, I doubt there would have been any sense that fell out of our collective pockets <laughs> throughout our teenage years and into our early twenties, our discussions would often turn how we were going to make this trip. Uh, we questioned the kind of craft we were going to either secure or build that could stand the punishment of the rocks, rapids of the Haw river and the upper Cape fear river. The craft would have to be light yet sturdy enough to stay intact through the rapids and transport us on the big water to the lower Cape fear. In late winter, early spring, 62, we decided if we were going to make the trip, now was the time. Yeah. So they're talking big water. They're talking rocks. They're talking rapids. That's impressive. At that age. <laughs> right? Wow. Whoa. It's a lot of logistics to work out at, at, uh, 11 to four, at between 11 and 14 years old. You know, like packing the, enough food yeah. and planning the Well, and I guess logistics. at one point... Um, he says he wrote the story on scrap pieces of paper that included everything from storms to losing all their food. Oh. So this sounds like a kind of a cool story to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I read one of the reviews on uh, Amazon. Yeah. Said that the, the story was well written, was really good. The pictures were grainy at times. <laughs> So that's why I'm thinking, even with the pictures, Derek, you're probably not going to be buying this book. If it ain't a picture book. So, <laughs> rafting down the Haw River to the sea. If you Google it, there's a, they've done a video with him. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, with Herman Johnson and uh, talking about the trip and, and everything like that. So, check it out. And, uh, yeah, if you want to buy it, uh, I think I might uh, pick that one up. Just give it a read. Because who wouldn't want to do that when they were a kid? I know. I know, right? like it's the the it, being able to have the freedom to do something like that like that at that age, mm-hmm. being responsible enough to do something like that at that age, that's pretty cool. Where are you going? Oh, we're just going out to. Uh, they probably didn't tell their parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to we'll sleep over at Fred's house. Yeah. <laughs> um, are, there's another. So we we talk about everybody out this way, you know, and. Canada and whatnot, doing the the old portage routes and trying to get people into the into the boats and let's get people outdoors paddling and stuff like that. And I think a lot of us think of it as an a North American thing. Let's get people out in the backcountry. Let's get people yeah. paddling. Let's get people outdoors. Traditional raft rally. There was a two day traditional um, Zach which is a raft rally aimed to promote winter tourism and revive the tradition of traveling through water. Uh, and it is in Pakistan. Total of 22 teams comprising 88 members. That's a big group. That's a lot of mm-hmm. 88 people going down. Start of the journey. And I'm going to butcher all of these names. <laughs> yes. Uh, Glubber. Glubber. Uh, area, area of Shigar. Shigar area. Uh, they arrived at the Sandus area of Skardu, traveling 70 kilometers through the Shigar and Indus rivers. Now, you had mentioned there a couple of years ago when we had the Paddling Film Festival. So was, I think it would have been 2019. Well, the well, last time we held it was 2019. But yeah, there was a video that uh, one of the filmmakers made. It was, uh, wasn't it this solo guy, whitewater kayaker? He went the, down the Indus. 
Was that not 2020? Oh, yeah, because we had it just before. Everything oh, shut yes. Down last year. We yeah. had, we were just, so it was last year. We were yeah. like four days from the cutoff when everything shut yeah. down. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they, they were on the Indus River. The Zach tradition was set by residents of Sugar uh, as they used the traditional rafts to travel through the rivers. Ancient times, the uh, Zach also remained a source of crossing rivers in the region when there were no roads and bridges. Each team comprised four people, including the boatmen, holding national flags, singing national and traditional songs, traveling through the rivers amid freezing temperatures. They arrived near the central Shigar on Monday evening, where they stayed for the night. Tuesday morning, the team started their journey and arrived in the Sandus area of Skardu in the evening. There is, so if you look on the Google Maps, there's a big river lake looking thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't. I guess it's a river goes into and then widens into a big, it looks like a lake. But if you even look at uh, the Google photos and stuff of that area, that's some pretty beautiful oh, area yeah. Yeah. with the big it's hills and mountains and, and whatnot. That's a beautiful area there. Um, Tuesday morning they arrived and the locals warmly received the participants of the rally showering them with flower petals, which is really cool. The particip- However, the participants of the rally were disappointed as local administration did not arrange reception for them. One of the organizers of the event said no administration official came to receive the participants despite the fact that the rally was meant to promote winter tourism of the region. Uh, he demanded the government start encouraging such events. So they got this group of guys. Yes. Yeah. Drawing attention, so this is this is uh, this is a lot of this is uh, tax base for the government. This is you know this is moving people in areas and, and tourism industry and yeah. and so the, the potential of uh, of this kind of feeding back into the the area and and enriching everybody. You, you think that the officials in the local villagers would say, yeah, we're yeah, the local villagers were fine, but it's the officials. Just, just the officials were not weren't weren't on board. Yeah, they just didn't want anything to do with it by the sounds of it. Hmm. Uh, another organizer said the youth of the village uh, had organized the event and the Zach rally was held to promote winter tourism and explore the old ways of traveling long distances through water by indigenous peoples. The Zach is a traditional raft made of skin of animal, uh, skin of animals and wooden sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, you think in Pakistan, right next door to Afghanistan, and uh-huh. with everything that's happening, you figure, listen, we got nobody coming in here. We got no economy coming into yeah. tourist-wise. This let's, is a fantastic opportunity to, yeah. to grow and show the interest in the area. And, and, and get, re- show your culture, part of your culture. Yeah, you know exactly. Uh, it's That's a shame. Uh, it's great that they did it. I hope they, they don't let this um, stop them from doing something like this again. No, exactly. You know, it, yeah. it'd be a shame. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I I'd do that. It would be neat. Yeah, it would be. It like would I be. say, I mean, and that's the problem. I mean, you, you you look at all the areas, and you see the photos. I mean, if you don't look at the towns, you know, um, when I, I work with uh, one of my clients uh, is from Iran, and she talks about the, you know, the wars and. Because that's what she grew yeah, up with. The strife, the war, the, the damage to the area, the but even, the lack of tourism. Yeah, and, and she says, like, if you don't look at the towns and the cities, like, where where it's going, you go into the countryside, it's beautiful country. Yeah. And you start looking at all this and all these different spots, and you start looking at the waterways and stuff like that, and there's tons of areas that you could go, and yep. beautiful, beautiful paddling oh, yeah. destination. But unfortunately, I think that's the problem is most people see what's going on over that way and want no part of it. Yeah. You know. Uh, Mm. The other thing that's been going on, I guess, bad-wise lately. Bad-wise? There was a British team over on the Zambezi River, and she was uh, doing her off year. So done high school, going before college sort of do the off year and uh, she was on a rafting trip um and i guess while they were taking a break she was sitting on the edge of the raft and a crocodile grabbed her leg oh wow dragged her in 
and uh, a couple people jumped in after and somebody punched it right in the face. <laughs> it let go. She's 240 kilometers. She had to be flown out. Um, she's doing, she's recovering. Yeah. That sort of deal. Wow. But she gets uh, a message from these two twin girls saying, hey, we know what you're going through. Because when they were in Mexico, <laughs> they okay. got attacked. Oh, yeah? By a by an alligator or a crocodile. Yeah. And, and yeah, the other one's saying, I had to punch it in the face. Punch <laughs> it in the nose and let go. And yeah. so they, they, they're both uh, recovering from that. And the one says she still has uh, PTSD. She wakes up. Oh, yeah. Thinking, you know, like she's having these dreams where her sisters are being attacked. Yeah. And, and, that sticks and with you. So, so, yeah, right now, if there's crocodiles anywhere... <laughs> don't go. <laughs> yes. Don't yeah. go. Don't stand too close to the shoreline. <laughs> you know, we, we, we joke about going with all the sharks and the crocodiles and all the things that can kill you, but seems lately. <laughs> <laughs> they will. They are. <laughs> They're really going after you. Yeah. <laughs> um, one last thing here. There was a, an article written about uh, where is adventure travel going in 2022? Um as we know, like the adventure travel has taken a big hit during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, you know, like no one's going anywhere, you know, the last couple of years, you're not flying out of the country. You're not, you know, uh, going climbing in the Alps sort of thing. And yeah, things know. are changed, right? Um, hiking, uh, and stuff was the big, um, adventure. But over the last year, it's been overtaken by biking. Oh, yeah? Yep, cycling. Cycling is the thing to do. They figure uh, over the next year, it's going to revert to how it was. So Shannon Stowell of the Adventure Travel Trade Association uh, has some thoughts on what we can expect next year. He says, domestic adventure travel is in strong markets like the U.S. have had generally a good year. Yeah. Anyone in, uh, dependent on international travel has had a very hard 18 months. Uh, different destinations, different challenges based on a lot of factors, including governmental regulations, vaccination rates, and so on. But that being said, there's been a clear increase in interest in outdoor activities and travel on a whole. Now, without, no one can go to Mexico. No one can go to the Dominican. Um, so everybody's stuck at home. As, as we're saying, everybody's heading north instead of south, right? Yes. So now slowly, I've been noticing over the last month, a lot of people I know that always make these trips. That's starting to happen again. People are going to Mexico and and, and they're, they're heading to their southern destinations again. Uh, places that seem to be more accessible as we begin to ease out of the pandemic changes constantly, but the great road trip has been on uh, seemingly everyone's mind. So the great road trip is becoming a thing again. That used to be the thing back in the day, doing the family trip, right? The big road trips. Uh, we, we just, uh, on the weekend or uh, this week, we watched National Lampoon's uh, vacation. Oh, family vacation. Wally World. And- <laughs> I'll go to Wally World. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I I used to do trips like that with my parents. It was it was a big thing. It's yeah. going a big trip somewhere, right? I still enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I mean, we yeah. went out. We drove across the country two yeah. years, three years ago, oh, yeah. whatever it was. Right? Canada's 150. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Costa Rica, Mexico seem to be hot spots, but he's also seeing a lot of people popping up in Africa. Now, of yes. course, with this new Omicron variant, that's sort of, mm-hmm. you know, people are being uh, a bit wary, but they're saying people are starting to get um, more aware of how wary they need to be. Yes. On on dealing with all this. There's been a lot of domestic biking, hiking, and rafting trips, but fewer international departures given the restrictions. Exactly. But we believe it will start to come back in 2022 as people get vaccinated and also make the decision to live with our new realities. Yeah. 2023 and 24 should be very strong years due to the pent-up demand. Africa, the Middle East, Latin America, and Asia are all seeing blossoming of adventure travel because it really is what people increasingly want to be in nature and learn about local cu- cultures. Yeah. 
adventure travel will survive and thrive despite the difficulties presented in the pand- uh, by the pandemic. Yeah. People are wanting to get back to a normal kind of a phase of life and, and do more of the stuff that they're traditionally used to doing. Like, you know, some of these uh, longer trips and traveling across borders and and so as as the borders start to open up and the planet starts to reopen, it's uh, people are going to start doing their thing again. And I'm seeing a lot of it too, like, uh, you know, like uh, Alan Drummond, he's down in the States this week and, and he's been doing a lot of traveling himself, paddling in areas. And so you're starting to see, I'm starting to see a lot more people on Facebook popping up saying, hey, here we are, we're, we're doing it, yada, 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 right? Uh, definitely. Uh, there's And like I say, there's there's places that... I would like to go check out. Uh, unfortunately, some of those places, my pocket's not deep enough. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did post a little video. I don't know if you saw it on our, our Facebook page. No. Nope. Uh, China's narrowest county, uh, Yanjin County, Zhaotong City in Yunnan Province. Okay. And picture these massive hill mountains mm-hmm. with a city built in the valley, narrow, really okay, narrow, yeah. Yeah. as wide as a river. So it only looks like it's maybe a couple hundred feet across. Oh, I've seen that picture. Yeah. And somebody's done a drone. If you go to the video on our Facebook page uh, and click the video, somebody's taken a drone and flown it over this river. Yeah. That would be a really cool place to paddle. Yeah. There's a lot. And if you could do that, just go from place to place to place to place to place. Mm Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. And there's a lot of places around the world. And like I say, we were, we were talking about um, Pakistan there. That beautiful country would be l- fantastic to go Oh yeah, and, and paddle those areas. Mm-hmm. So when they're saying like Africa, the Middle East, Latin America, and Asia are starting to, to blossom with their adventure travel, yeah. I can see it. Oh, it's coming. How, how long... Can people keep going to the same places, like the same beaches in Mexico and Jamaica and the Dominican? Yeah. Like, that's all I ever hear. I'm going to Florida. I'm going to the Dominican. I'm going to Jamaica. I'm going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. But when you get, like, even when you go to Mexico, you don't hear about these, any backcountry paddling trips or anything you can take. Huh? Oh, right? If you yeah. want to go to Mexico and do a paddling trip. No, everything's Take a kayak and paddle the shore, paddle the coast, mm-hmm. right? So if you can go do some of this stuff in these other countries, yeah, you know, I like I can't go to Mexico and sit on a beach for a week. <laughs> I got to be doing so. I can't, and I it's, it's the same reason I don't own a cottage. I can't go to the same cottage weekend after weekend, year after year. I want to go somewhere different. So I'm not going to go to Mexico the same place <laughs> year after year after year. I want I want to hit some of these new spots that are opening up. I'd love to go to Africa and no, I don't want to as much as it'd be cool to see the animals. I don't want to go do a safari for two weeks. Yeah. No. You know? I, I, I'd love I to go do some paddling yeah. and stuff and some of these rivers and way back in the Middle East. There like I say, you look at some of that scenery. I'd love to go check out some oh, of Oh, it's that amazing. Stuff. I know. It's like so you see and it, there's so many similarities. Like uh, when you look at the uh, mountainous regions of, of Pakistan, it uh, you, you kind of get the impression that it's like yeah, it kind of looks familiar. It's it's uh, similar to like out west in, in the Rocky Mountains and mm-hmm. and so it's it's has that familiarity. It's like, man, I want to I want to actually see these things with my own eyes. I want to yeah. travel to these places. It'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, adventure travel is not dead. No. It's just taking a hiatus. It's, yeah, it was. It's a, coming back. It's coming back. You know, it, it will come back strong. Um, I think that's all I've got this week. That's all I've got. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Nothing else? No. Awesome. Hurry up, spring. <laughs> I've decided January. Yeah. I am going to give uh, level six a call. Oh, gonna get your wetsuit. Get me a, a wetsuit mm-hmm. or yeah. dry suit. Dry suit. Dry suit. Well, it depends if I pee in it or not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, call level six and see if I can head to Ottawa. And, Good for you. And grab me a, mm-hmm. a dry suit, and then I'll bring it home. And immediately in January, I will go for a paddle. Yeah. And then in February, I'll go for a paddle, and I'm gonna paddle every month of 2022. Beauty. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take Alan Drummond with me. There you go. I'll force him to go. 
yeah, so that's about it. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, iHeartRadio, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and uh, download or stream all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. We'll see you next time.